So here we are. Good guys and bad guys. The focus of my sermon will not be the Super Bowl. However, I, I was thinking based on what you'll see as the as the theme, I was thinking about how who the quote unquote good guys are in the uh, games that will be played tonight is very much dictated by your perspective. Hmm? I would guess that if we went to First Baptist Philadelphia this morning, or even First Baptist Valley Forge, where the American Baptist Church headquarters are located, even though it is the Sunday before Valentine's Day, I doubt, I doubt as the pastors stand before their churches that they see much red. I bet you there is not a pastor in Philadelphia this morning who is wearing a red tie or a red dress. I think you see a lot of green. We'll see here in about, let's see, it's about 11. Game would be over probably tonight, about 9 or so, so about 10 hours. Whether they're green with envy, huh? I've probably taken it too far already, but green with envy that we have number 15 as our quarterback, or if they're victorious. We shall see, and in the vast scheme of things, as much as I would hope that the Chiefs win, and as much as I wish my boys could understand how rare it is for Kansas City sports to have a team in the Super Bowl three out of four years, shoot, vast scheme of things, it Eternally, will it have much difference? I doubt it. But we'll enjoy it, and we'll cheer on the Chiefs because we know who the good guys really are, right? (laughs) With that said, I'm going to hop right into our text from Luke 16. But before I do, I need to offer a bit of a warning about this passage. Everywhere I turned this week, in terms of commentators that I consider as I come across a passage that I think is tough to interpret. I felt like I was in good company because most of them began what they had to say or write in regard to this passage by qualifying it as the most difficult of all the parables of Jesus. They told me how it has caused incredible problems for the church ever since it was recorded in Scripture. Some said that the problems were caused because folks didn't know what he was trying to say. But I will try as much as possible to clear up at least some of the confusion. With all those caveats, hear these words from Luke 16. He, Jesus, said to the disciples, there was a a rich man who had a manager And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. 
I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He, the manager, said to him, the debtor, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it falls, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to, to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Oh God, we pray that you would send your spirit, light our path, that we may travel the road you have prepared for us. Having heard the scriptures proclaimed, O oh Lord, and your words revealed, Enable our hearts and minds to more fully understand your goodness and your grace, that we may truly follow the way of kingdom living. Amen. So here, I think, is the problem that we have with this parable. This parable of the dishonest manager, as it is called even in some headings in translations of the Bible. I think that often when we listen to these parables, our first reaction, my first reaction, is to assign parts, to assign roles. This person represents X, this person represents Y. It's probably most easily done in the parable of the prodigal son, right? <coughs> the wayward one, the waiting father. It's not hard to represent or to understand which represents God and which represents a wayward sinner. When we try to interpret the parable by assigning parts, we usually pick for ourselves the role of the good person, or at least that that's what we're aspiring to be. We hope to learn from them about how we might better live our lives. So we know who the good guys in the story are and who the bad guys are. But Jesus' parables are often, especially this one, not quite that simple. They're meant to make us think, to cause some sort of dissonance where something doesn't quite sit right or feel right. If we simply say in the case of 
this story that the rich man is God and we are the managers and the debtors are those who got in too deep with payday lenders or something like that. We end up down a path that leads to very interesting conclusions about what God values. Let's see how this would play out in the story we're faced with this morning, which begins with a rich man bringing charges against the one he has entrusted to manage his funds. Most of us wouldn't identify with the rich man. Maybe because of socioeconomic socioeconomic conditions or whatever the case may be. I think probably the most natural one for us to relate to is the manager. Most of us grew up with stories of Robin Hood. He was always stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. We like the stories where the rich and powerful go down in a blaze of glory and the little guy ends up on top. But immediately another problem arises. If he is the one represented as the character we're to emulate, he had some issues. He said, in part, well, I'm not able to dig ditches. I'm not able to apply myself to physical labor and I'm too ashamed to beg. So he was left with one other option. And although I'm not sure it was honest, Maybe it was at least clever. He discovers that he's not too lazy to, I think the phrase would be, cook the books, right? Huh? He calls in the people who owe his master money, lots of money, and he discounts the bills. The idea being that when he is kicked out, that they will remember that they owe him something, These debtors owe him something for what they did or for what he did for them. So if we want to root for the little guy, this is a tough little guy to root for. We like him and all, and we're all for the... (coughs) Excuse me. We're all for the little guy coming out on top, but it feels a little slimy, doesn't it? Who are we supposed to be in this story? Who is the one held up as the one to emulate? And then the story gets a little bit more complicated. When the rich man finds out exactly what his manager has done and commends him. (laughs) What? He praises the manager because he has acted shrewdly, as the scripture says. If the story were just sitting in some book somewhere, even something like uh, Aesop's Fables or something like that, it would feel a little out of place. But this is a story that Jesus told. Somewhere in here, there's got to be good news. Somewhere in this strange story is a glimpse of how we're to act in the kingdom of God. But where is it? What is it? 
What in the world, or better, what in God's kingdom does this story mean? Well, I think that there may be just a few truths that we might be able to find. First, we might note that the parables of Jesus, while most of the time don't always contain as their focal point good and moral people that we're called to emulate. Sometimes the parable is not <coughs> meaning to highlight individual characters, but instead a greater, a greater principle that the story itself communicates. What about this one? Perhaps the message is this. There exists a definite distinction between a life fixated on the needs to survive in the world contrasted with a life focused on the promises of the kingdom. Let me unpack that just a little bit. The dishonest manager honed his energies so much with a focus on self-preservation to try and save himself. that he didn't care about what sort of fallout he left behind. Maybe Jesus is holding this parable up, not as a way to emulate, but instead characteristics to try and to some degree avoid. Jesus' parable, though, is not about figuring out how to work the system, as it were. It's about how the system no longer works as it relates to reflecting that there's a new reality initiated by God's kingdom. That instead, self-preservation is no longer paramount. That we live for something even outside of ourselves, greater than ourselves. Jesus' parable is about the life-altering power of the reign of God, the transforming new reality that is to come, and the necessity that Jesus' disciples get ready for it. The world is shrewd about taking the future into account, even for selfish interests. Question may be begged, why can't we be shrewd about taking the future into account for God's interests? I don't want us to jump to the conclusion that this parable is somehow a, you know, don't make wise financial decisions and, and don't put money in savings or something like that. But the idea is that our lives in the kingdom of God is bigger than that. That there's more that exists beyond even what we can see. No matter what we do in this world, in this age, we're still living in a broken, fallen creation. Jesus' parable is about the limitations of this world. And yet, how we work within those limitations to bring about God's kingdom. And if we think about it, if we think about it, the wealth of God, the riches that God has given to us, beyond this world are completely undeserved. 
like the debtors who had their debts reduced through no action of their own, no promise to pay back, just erased that we too in our sin debt have been given forgiveness that we didn't deserve. It's not something we've worked for or something that we can attain, but something we receive as a free gift of God's grace. And at the conclusion of this enigmatic, confusing parable, Jesus leaves us with a choice. When he says, we cannot serve God and money. We can choose to follow the ways of the world and embrace a life in which dishonesty is always an option and self-serving in which we believe that only we can be the masters of our own future through manipulation and deceit or we can embrace the fully undeserved gift of God's grace and be assured a future full of life. May God give us grace to follow the way of the kingdom outlined by the Lord Jesus. Amen.